We're actually live on Google. I just would like to uh, thank Johnny Cerucci, author of the Illuminati Unmasked, everything you know about the New World Order and how we'll beat it for being on William Ramsey Investigates. It's a new show on Awake Radio. And uh, Johnny, are you there? I'm here, William. I'm, it's a pleasure, too. Awesome. Thanks for uh, for uh, joining the show. The uh, We had spoken on the Ed Opperman report maybe two or th- maybe three months ago now. It seems like a, a while back, but... Uh, we covered a lot of stuff in your book, but I still would like people to get an idea of who you are, what brought you to write this book. I, I read the book. I loved it. It's a very thorough. Broken transmission. Uh, you got me at all. Johnny, can you hear me? I got gotcha. you. Okay. So uh, anyway, Johnny, please take it away. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to write Illuminati Unmasked, please. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> let's try and give you the Cliff Notes version. Um passionate Italian immigrant, uh, fourth generation immigrant. Uh, my family came from Italy, uh, as I said, four, gener- four generations ago as a result of hard times there between the communists and the fascists. They just needed a new start. And they came to this country, to the East Coast, settled in New Jersey, had hard times there because there was a, a wave of uh, Irish immigrants that had occurred before my family got here. And in my research, I recently found out that these waves of Catholic immigrants were being forced by purposeful hardship by by Rome to, to leave their country and emigrate to populate in America just as uh, Hispanic Catholic immigrants are being invited and sometimes forced to emigrate legally and illegally into this country. It's open warfare. And that was four generations ago. And so as a result, my family ended up being very patriotic. Uh, when I say passionate, I mean passionate about our, our beliefs. And so I grew up wanting to express that patriotism by having a career in the military. And I was just uh, not very focused. Uh, I, I, I had high, high aspirations, but was really kind of all over the place. So I ended up doing a lot of different things in the military. Uh, enlisted Marine, then into the Army to become an officer, active duty Army, got out of the active duty Army, and went into the National Guard. During this time, I was also very strong in my, my political beliefs, right of hard right of, of center, and uh, tapped into all of the usual uh, conservative, uh, I say that with with air quotes because I don't like that term, Uh, implies that you're you're stuck in the mud and and, and can't think freely for yourself. But to some degree, I guess I I, I wasn't able to at that time. All all the usual you know, stops for conservative ideology, the, the Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, Sean Hannity, and so forth. And I was frustrated because uh, it was began to be clear that America's problems were institutional problems, that, that our biggest enemies were, were inside our own borders. And I continued to get the same old song and dance from these conservative avenues and venues. Uh, went to what really, really had the same awakening at the same time that I was had this awakening while I was in this process and, and, and eventually getting deployed to Iraq that uh, just really starting to question these so-called conservative media, especially with the advent of Barack Obama. 
Biden's presidency, it seemed like the conservative outlets weren't questioning his background hard. It was almost as if they didn't want to uncover too much. And you had a man that was using three or more different aliases with with a social security number from a state at, at Connecticut that he'd never been in. Uh, a background shrouded in mystery and, and visiting Pakistan in the 80s when it was illegal to visit Pakistan. He, implied connections to intelligence were there. And, and yet these these venues, uh, the Limbong, Levin, and so forth, weren't really pushing that. And it started to get me upset and, and, and make me wonder, were these guys part of the machine? It's just playing me. Well, it wasn't until the supposed killing of Osama bin Laden in 2011 that I finally just threw in the towel on mainstream slash alternative conservative media as these individuals continued to carry water for the for the Obama administration with the idea that they really did kill Osama bin Laden in, in 2011. It was clear that it was absolutely staged. And it's not to say that, that the team that went there, the SEAL Team 6 that went there, didn't actually go there and didn't actually kill somebody on site. But the idea that you would take the most valuable intelligence asset the, the high-value target, the highest high-value target of the entire war on so-called global war on terror, um, shoot him on sight and dump him in the ocean was beyond ludicrous. Right. And it wasn't shortly after that that I, that I got some inside information from someone in the special operations community that confirmed that the real story wasn't the, what we were told by the media. And so... Uh, that, that's when I threw in the towel on, on conservative media and, and really began to question. And I will tell you that my experience in Iraq only added to this, added to my turmoil. I saw a country destroyed by war. I saw that our policies were absolutely counterproductive, that uh, the, the infrastructure still hadn't been rebuilt after years of damage and uh, just to, to turn that nation into a, a, a giant mess of chaos. And what, what was your years of uh, 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 where, when you were in Iraq? And there's a tiny. I'm hearing a tiny little bit of echo. So uh, okay, I can uh, I can switch to uh, switch to headphones. That'd be great. What years were you in Iraq? That was. Um, Get these headphones on. No problem. Oh, I guess oh eight, oh nine, somewhere around there. Most of the most of the uh, hardcore fighting was done, and and our. Did you actually see any fighting? Uh, we did stability and support operations, uh, mainly weapons cache searches, um, key leader engagements. Uh, patrols. There were some some IED incidents. Uh, they were using uh, new munitions that were actually it's a it's a, a Russian or an old Soviet munition that um, a, a grenade with a shoot on it that was actually a shaped charge and um, uh, it wasn't like I'll, I'll be the long short of it. I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't Audie Murphy, but I did spend. 
that that time outside the wire. So um, it, it's really not much worth uh, worth talking about. Just it was an experience that changed me. Um, did, did I see things I, I really didn't want to see? Yes. Um, but was was I you know holding an M4 in each hand? No. So uh, it was. How many years was it? It, it was. It was. I'm sorry. About 0809. Gotcha. And then, um, so that kind of changed your perspective. You were probably kind of, you said you were kind of a card-carrying conservative. And uh, then what did that experience in Iraq lead you to? Well, it, it, um, it didn't stop me from being a passionate patriot, from loving my country. It made me question things more, maybe question the narrative more. What was I being told versus what was the truth? And this idea that, Jihad was this terrible threat, and and yes, I, I absolutely did see uh, evidence of, of of a strong threat, an insurgent threat in in Iraq, and and had been briefed on it elsewhere in Afghanistan. But uh, as I really looked around, I, I just saw a bunch of, of people that were were trying to live, and I saw a lot of of our policies are. At, <laughs> The United States government policies, United States Army policies were very counterproductive. They, they tended to um, make more enemies than, than they, they solved issues, than they actually brought security. And so this added to my concern that the biggest problems, the biggest enemies were on the inside in our own chain of command. Interesting. And then... So, we'll... and, yeah, to, to the book, to get the book. Um, so... Uh, well, tell me about what your kind of opinion is. The Illuminati and Masks aims to teach people about, you know, what is happening in the world, the New World Order, and how we will beat it. But, you know, let's just start out thinking, why is America a captured operation? I mean, why is that your yeah, opinion? Um, it was all part of my, my growth and development. I had, I had written columns for the university paper when I was in college many years ago. I had started blogging in... I don't know, 93, 94, somewhere around there. And I've been dabbling in it ever since then. So I, I, I perfect right now. You sound, this is really last reverberation. So good, good. So I, I had, uh, I had experience in writing and, and sharing my opinion and never had a lack of, of an opinion to share. So I, I was into alternative media at the time, trying to get to the bottom, trying to find out who was really in charge, who was really in control, uh, seeing the usual sub subjects uh, of, you know, Alex Jones and so forth, talking about uh, Bilderberg and, and, and trilateral and CFR. And it, it seemed to make sense, but it didn't seem to have the, the weight, the control that, that clicked for me. Hey, oh, this is it. This is the one organization that controls everything. Well, I, I heard somebody on, on a program, and his name is, I believe it's, it's a fake name, but his name is Eric Phelps. And, and so he came on an alternative media podcast and he blew my mind by giving names, places, and dates of how the Vatican was in control through one of their orders of priesthood known as the Society of Jesus or the Jes- Jesuits. Gotcha. And so he blew my mind, and I immediately took the interest. I'm writing notes as I'm listening to this guy, and I'm taking down what he's writing, what he's saying, so that I can reference it and verify it myself. And to and my, he was the one who kind of came across the idea of the Vatican assassins. Is that correct? 
That's as a matter of fact, that's the name of his book that he wrote, Vatican Assassins. Now, I have <laughs> this is weird, man. I actually live 15 minutes down the road from Eric Phelps. Oh. I did not know that at the time. I heard him on the podcast first yeah. and then tried to reach out to him. I didn't get through to him the first time. Uh, I came back to, to just trying to focus on my own research and and this is where I started to blog about these subjects. Mm-hmm. And I wrote something that went on another, on another site that before it's news, this is kind of a, kind of a um, silly alternative to the alternative blog where you get all kinds of crazy subjects, but it's a good place to, to air out your, your thoughts. Right. And I had something there that, that, that took off kind of like 25,000 hits. Well, for me, I was nobody. 25,000 hits on one of my columns was insane. So that was the impetus to take what I had written and, and start putting together a book. And that particular column dealt with these topics and um, uh, the so-called Illuminati. And I'll tell you, what, you know what? Here's one of those things that, that, that Eric Phelps said that, that blew me away that, that said, this is it. These are the guys who are really in charge. The so-called Illuminati. Illuminati is a, is a buzzword. Everybody on, on, in alternative, alternative media uses, it. uses the right. word Illuminati. Yeah, but they don't know the specifics. Yeah, they have, I, I almost think that most of them know that it's really a boogeyman term. Yes, that, I think that, you're right. That today, it is a boogeyman term that, that at its founding, at its origin, um, was was founded basically by a Jesuit priest. And explain Adam, that. Can we go back to the very beginning? What Jesuit priest was that? Adam Weishaupt okay. was a Bavarian scholar who started his Jesuit education at seven years old. And I, I uh, have this clearly cited in my in my book started at seven was in the custody of the jesuits his entire life eventually went to teach canon law at jesuit ingolstadt excuse me university and as far as i'm concerned the chances are excellent that he was secretly ordained a jesuit priest someone that had spent that much time in their in their realm and, and eventually went on to teach at a Jesuit facility. Canon law are the precepts by which the, the Vatican uh, uh, conducts itself with, with in, in politics. So now, it's, now you're at the worst. This is like the worst reverb. Let's see if we can just, uh, you want to, I had to, I had to put my speakers on. Do you hear me? Do you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, perfect. We're good to go back at it. Uh, so we were at the Adam Weishaupt, and his influence, what do you think the influence of this Jesuit scholar was from Ingolstadt? Well, it's important to keep this in mind as exactly what, t- what uh, time period this is. This is 1773, which is right after the suppression of the Jesuits. Now, this is a kind of a messy subject, but the, the history of it on the surface is that the Jesuits had become so hardcore that that they were being asked by catholic countries that were, were pressuring the pope to suppress the jesuits to get rid of inter- them it was an internal thing and why was that let's go back to the beginning of the jesuit order and just if you can discuss for the audience the beginning of orders within the catholic church and why the jesuits 
stand out, please? Well, to give the full story on that, it, it really should go back to, to Constantine and, and Nero and Constantine. And after the crucifixion of Christ, early Christians were persecuted terribly by Roman authorities. And may have your audience may have been familiar with the horrors of being a Christian under Nero being wrapped in animal skins, thrown to wild animals, uh, being covered in tar and lit on fire to keep Nero's gardens lit. Um, dramatic difference uh, with the appearance of Constantine, who at the Battle of Milvian Bridge apparently had a vision of Christ, and, and, and Christ told him, showed him a sign, the Cairo, the two Greek letters, in this sign shall you conquer. And, and so he supposedly put this sign uh, on the shields of his soldiers and did conquer. And at the time, the, the Roman Empire was fractionalized, and so they came together. Rome came back together under Constantine as, as a single emperor. And Constantine apparently seemed to convert to Christianity. Well, that in and of itself was not too devastating, and certainly Christians were glad not to be so terribly persecuted, horribly persecuted, the problem began with the centralization of authority in Christendom. Constantine then began the guy to start setting doctrine, Christian doctrine. And so this eventually became a problem because if you didn't line up with the way Constantine saw things, well, then you're back on the list of persecution again. And, and this started with an early sect called the Donatists, who uh, were just a little zealous, but again, it really fits into this category. They were they were Christians. They had some some zealous beliefs, maybe not necessarily proper doctrine. But uh, Constantine began to suppress them in the same way that the Christians used to be suppressed. So this started a trend that really changed the Roman Empire into the Holy Roman Empire. So that by the time of I don't know five. 100 BC, 500 AD, 538 AD, really Justinian, 538 AD, Justinian made the Bishop of Rome the ultimate arbiter, uh, the, the, uh, the Holy See, as it were, for all of Christendom. And so now you have a, a military political entity taking on the trappings of Christ Christianity, but also hanging on to her pagan past, or very pagan past, right. where you have an old statue of Jupiter renamed Peter. So um, you, you now have this growing of a no longer Christian, sort of a weird syncretistic mix of Christianity, paganism, and uh, a military political entity. Right. Well, it came to a point where this military political entity started to, again, drift so far from Christianity that good Christians who were reading the Bible began to get persecuted and prosecuted horribly. And so we're now into uh, you know, 1000 AD and the, the Waldensians and the Vaudois, who were, were true Christians, living in the Alps, reading the Bible, preaching the gospel, were themselves victims of crusaders. There, there was a crusade into the Alps to suppress the Waldensians. And so these were the seeds of a revolt against this new Roman Catholic unity of supposed Christendom. And it's, it uh, gave birth to other protesters like John Wycliffe, roughly about this time, and uh, Jan Hus 
in um, uh, Bohemia. And so these men started to, to move away from Roman Catholicism and, and resist and, and try to reform the, the, the Catholic Church, but protest at the same time. Well, it wasn't until 1517 when an Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther had a run-in with a Medici pope, uh, Giovanni de' Medici, who was Pope Leo X, was really a disgusting guy, uh, really a sexual pervert and deviant. I mean, wasn't uh, was, the Medici's kind of notorious for that? Weren't they actually a absolutely. banking family? It was. You bet. It was all about money and power and had nothing to do with Christianity or faith or religion. And as a matter of fact, uh, his, his father bought him into the church made him a bishop, at, and it wasn't even a teenager. It was embarrassing. Couldn't even join the, when he became a cardinal. Couldn't even join the College of Cardinals because he was too young to vote. Uh, but he was one there because his father had bought him into it. So right. by the time he made it into to become pope, uh, he had said to his confidants, hey, we have the papacy, let's, let's enjoy it. And so as a result, he was spending himself out of the papacy, he had massive debts, and he needed a ploy to go out and wrench more money from from Catholic citizens all over, all over Europe. Mm-hmm. And the ploy at the time was to just rebuild uh, St. Peter's, which had fallen into into disarray and disuse since the time of Constantine. And so, in order to do this, he exploited the worst thing of the the trust of of Catholic citizens. The idea that you could buy your way out of sin, there is this fabrication. Forgive me, I don't mean to put myself at odds with Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic people, Roman Catholic doctrine. Two different issues, whether or not Roman leadership rules the world from behind the scenes. And the differences between Protestants and Catholic are two separate issues. However, this is an important issue, and, and it really has sparked the Reformation the idea of an indulgence that you could buy your way out of sin. And there was a fabrication known as today, still known today, purgatory that once on, once you die, you don't go to stand before Christ in judgment. You go to this holding place and you can be released from this holding place by the power of the Pope. Well, the Pope decided to sell this power for your yourself in the future, if you end up in purgatory, or your loved ones. Heaven forbid, if you should have a child that died of a plague, and you were sold that they were in purgatory awaiting for your help, all you had to do is give them money. And you would receive an indulgence as a result. Well, this came to a head in Wittenberg, where there was an Augustinian monk, and uh, a... a uh, a Dominican friar named uh, Johannes uh, oh my goodness I had his name and I lost it um, anyway was was um, uh, Tetzel T- 
Tetzel, Johannes Tetzel, I'm sorry, came back to me. Johannes Tetzel was going around for uh, Leo X, selling these indulgences in a really, I mean, boy, snake oil salesman. And, and Luther was furious because he had a heart for the people and he saw the people being exploited and used. And so he wrote a document uh, um, with, with 95 bullets on it about how outrageous this was and if – People are asked, he said, hey, my, my, my parishioners are asking me if the Pope has the power to release people from, from purgatory, why does he not do that based on goodwill? Why is he charging money for this? And, and really good questions. And, and it wasn't be, until Martin Luther himself became a doctor of theology at the College of Wittenberg where he had access to the Bible himself. Now, prior to this, the Roman Catholic Church had buried the Bible. They said, look, if you want Christian doctrine, if you want to know about your soul, you come ask us. Well, as Martin Luther began to read this, and, and, and simultaneously at this time, uh, a, a, a linguist by the name of Desiderius Erasmus had uh, redone the, a translation of the Bible side by side in Latin and Greek. And he went to the original manuscripts and went away from the, the Jerome's Latin Vulgate. And so the original manuscripts were showing how many of the Catholic teachings were in error and were being exploited for the purpose of controlling the masses. And this is what upset Martin Luther. And so he took these 95 bullets, these 95 theses against indulgences, and he nailed them to the door uh, of All Saints Cathedral in Wittenberg, which was just basically a, a, uh, a call out for his his uh, uh, his fellow professors to, to to talk about this. And he also sent this to the Archbishop as well as to Tetzel himself as, hey, I, I dare you to debate this because you're wrong. Well, it, <laughs> this is about the same time as the Gutenberg Press, which was invented um, like 30 or 40 years before this, I was like 1450, this is 1517. So 1450, we had the movable type press, which had revolutionized, revolutionized printing. Where previous to this, presses, you actually had to carve out each and every page of a book. And so each, each template was unique, and it took all, a lot of time. Well, now you had movable types, small block letters that you could put in a frame and so publishing was much faster. And so Martin Luther wrote his 95 Theses in Latin as an invitation to other scholars to discuss this. Well, his students adored him. They found this. They translated into German, sent to the presses, and it was all over Europe like wildfire. And that just plummeted Martin Luther into a situation that he may not have been ready for, but he eventually adopted wholeheartedly, which is to start calling out the abuses of Rome and, and how the popes, he, he as a priest had visited Rome and he saw the utter depravity, William. Absolutely. Had he, yeah, he, he had this uh, ideal of Rome and when he went to Rome, it was, it was like the opposite, isn't that true? That's absolutely right. He had a very rosy ideal of what Rome would be and instead it was a cesspool. There were... Um, brothels specifically dedicated to Catholic clergy. Um, any sexual indulgence you could imagine. There were just exploitation of the people. At one point, he uh, celebrated Mass with some fellow Italians who actually mocked their audience by saying Mass in Latin. And instead of raising the host and, and consecrating the host 
to, to be the body of Christ, <laughs> they mocked their, their, their uh, congregation and said, uh, in Latin, bread thou art, bread thou will remain. And it was just absolutely shocking to, to Martin Luther to, to see this, have a wake-up call. And that was prior to 1517. So this was just the foundation. He eventually was called before uh, Vatican officials in Augsburg and um, continued to say, listen, I have the Bible, and, and I will recant if you can prove me wrong. He was eventually called before the Holy Roman Emperor himself, Charles V, at the Diet of, of Worms. And uh, in Worms, it was very difficult for him. He, he came and he didn't even have a, a, a preparation, a speech prepared. And they're like, wait, what did you think you were supposed to be here for? Well, he said, give me 24 hours. I gave him 24 hours. And he, he just blasted them with an amazing, I mean, at one point, Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, cut him off and tried to stop him. And he kept going. And just amazing courage for his day. He could have been immediately arrested and burned at the stake. In fact, that's exactly what happened a hundred years prior to reformer Jan Hus, a bohemian reformer who had been invited to a, to a, a diet to explain himself. He was given a, a safe passage by the Holy Roman Emperor, and it was revoked. He was arrested and burned at the stake. And they told Martin Luther, this would happen to you if you're not careful. And he went anyway. He went to Worms anyway and uh, made this stand where he, he con concluded it by saying, I can't go against my conscience, here I stand, so help me God. And so it was a shot heard around the world. And here's the kicker. It was the, it was the movable type press that was the death knell. Martin Luther then was basically kidnapped. Celebrate Christmas at SeaWorld. You'll gaze in amazement at the magic of twinkling lights and enjoy the wonder of amazing animals and festive friends as you explore seasonal fun and flavors all throughout the park. We're making your safety a top priority because Christmas is meant to be merry and bright. Buy a SeaWorld annual pass and get the second one for 50% off during our biggest sale of the year. The Black Friday sale is live now through November 27th. Don't miss SeaWorld's Christmas celebration. Select event dates now through January 4th. Llegó Black Friday a JCPenney. Ahorra en miles de ofertas por toda la tienda y en jcp.com. ¿Lo necesitas ya? Aprovecha entrega tu auto gratis. Y obtén los mejores ahorros con tu cupón de 30% de descuento extra. Úsalo y llévate selección de ropa de invierno para todos a solo $19.99. O ahorra hasta 80% en toda la joyería fina. Juntos en celebración y paz. JCPenney. Ofertas válidas del 23 al 28 de noviembre. Aplican condiciones y exclusiones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com by his benefactor, Frederick the Wise, the elector of Saxony, who secretly had a very sweet spot for Martin Luther. He really adored him, but he couldn't really be open about it because he was a German, high German official. So he kidnapped Martin Luther and put him in Wartburg Castle, where Martin Luther had all the spare time, and he went undercover, and so he translated the, the New Testament into German, vernacular German. And what, what really was devastating for the Catholic Church was this translation went to the printing presses and was across Germany and Europe like lightning. And now the people were reading for themselves what was previously forbidden and Rome's control was lost. This was a serious, serious problem. They no longer could use their own iron fist to stop, to keep the people under control. And instead what they did was they came out with a counter 
Reformation. A young Spaniard by the name of uh, Ignacio Lopez, who was uh, an aristocrat, was wounded in the Battle of Pamplona. It was uh, a turf war between France and Spain. And his, his uh, one leg was broken, his other leg was shattered. It was very, very difficult for him as a soldier because he was laid up in bed and now his, his dreams of, of uh, martial glory were lost. And so he was devastated. He, his, he had a, a terrible moment where he didn't know what he was going to do with himself. And at this point, he, he had visions of Christ and particularly Mary and the Virgin. And he had a new direction in life. He decided that he was going to take this terrible threat that came from Martin Luther and the Reformation and, and uh, Jean Calvin, also known as John Calvin, and he was going to fight them for the Pope. He was going to actually go back to the, the, the Holy Land, win Jerusalem for the Pope, and destroy the Reformation. Well, he put himself together. He... he um, in his convalescence, he went before the black version of Montserrat and dedicated himself. He put his sword before the statue of the black virgin and dedicated himself. He, he spent time in a cave outside of, of, of Montserrat and just brutalized himself. And it was here that he came up with his own spiritual disciplines that really revolutionized um, orders. This is what set them apart. The spiritual disciplines turned. What were they? What do you know the, those, the specifics? It was like they were a a series of flagellation meditations. And stuff. Yes, um, self denial, flagellation, um, withholding food and water from yourself. This goes back to ancient Templar mysticism and Gnosticism and beyond the Templars. The Templars learned it from uh, science and and uh, pagan mystics. And that was that was uh, Loyola's background. The the Templars went underground in 1307, and they were all throughout, hidden throughout Spain. And and so Loyola had been exposed to this, and he drew on that to create his spiritual disciplines, to to brutalize your his own self and his own body, to deny everything, to reach out for a higher cause, and it turned him into a super weapon. And, and all of of the Jesuits that are able to attain this level uh, are, are deeply deny themselves. And, and by the way, to get an idea of this. Um, this is where Marine Corps boot camp comes from, and I'm a former Marine. I will tell you for a fact, it's about the destruction of self to serve a higher cause. The problem is, is you absolutely have to believe in that higher cause. Right. If you don't, it doesn't work. So this turned Loyola into a super weapon, and they began to insinuate themselves into the Reformation and to take over countries. I mean, take over countries, whatever way, regicide, assassination, they immediately reached out to uh, Asia, and guess where they went once they got into Asia? They became the Chinese emperor's astronomer, mathematician, they wrote the calendars, William, they took over reality. 
they began to change and warp reality so that suddenly so-called science and so-called astronomy were at odds with the Bible. It was nothing more than a, an ingenious attack upon the veracity of the Bible. You have the Bible showing up Rome as being flawed, as being improperly controlling of, of, the, of the world as we knew it, not just Christians, of enslaving the world. And the only way to attack that would be to discredit the Bible itself. And oh, by the way, as you had these Christians, there, there's a, a great work called John Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it, it shows how for hundreds of years, the force that has, that has horribly murdered and tortured Christians has been the Roman Catholic Church. And so you have this new, this not new, you had this um, understanding of Rome as literally the great harlot, the whore of Babylon, as spoken of in Daniel 2, 7, 9, Revelation uh, 11, 13, 17, 19, uh, Clearly at this time, especially when, when uh, Martin Luther took his stand, the idea that Rome was the great heart of Babylon was very strong and came back. And so you needed to rewrite reality. And that reality includes science, archaeology, um, the fabricating and the recreation of the nation of Israel. Because once you bring Israel back as a nation, you suddenly say, wait a minute, Israel is needed for prophecy to fulfill itself, when in reality, Rome has already fulfilled those prophecies. Uh, as I said, in Revelation, in regards to persecution of the church, of the seals, of the martyrs, of the fifth seal and the martyrs reaching out for justice, and who the Antichrist was. When Christ says, many will come in my name. And, and say, I am he. And so you have Jesuits insinuating themselves into Christian prophecy and education and saying, oh, this is going to be uh, Islam. The Antichrist is going to be Hitler. The Antichrist was, was Napoleon. Um, here's the problem with that, William. You've heard that, I'm sure, that, that, that uh, Obama is the Antichrist, Hitler, Napoleon, uh, all Antichrist, Stalin. Here's the problem. They don't fulfill the scriptures in regards to how Jesus said, they will come in my name. Not one of those individuals said, I am Jesus, I am the Messiah. But that absolutely fits the office of the papacy, where each and every pope says, I am the vicar of Christ himself on earth, when they write um, ex-cathedra, or speak ex-cathedra, they capitalize their pronouns. They are equal, each and every pope, the vicar of Christ, continues, considers himself equal with God himself. And so there you have the great harlot with the horrible blasphemies written upon her that fits the prophecy. And so you have these brilliant Jesuits, oh my goodness, astronomers, mathematicians, uh, 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 secret Christian pastors writing books rewriting reality gotcha. so that now did they bounce up against um galileo i mean it was right around that time right is it the Jesuits? he was theirs 
Copernicus, Galileo, they worked for Rome. They worked for the Vatican. The so-called suppression of Galileo was just for plausible deniability. They want to know how, how the Vatican actually suppressed people? They ripped your innards out while you were still alive. They pulled your arms backwards until they popped out of their sockets. They pulled your skin off. This is what the Inquisition did, brother. This was not how you suppress. So Galileo was not supposed to put under house arrest. Gotcha. It was a fake arrest. It was a it was a flawed for the purpose of giving plausible deniability because Rome had to rewrite reality. Right. I mean, they maintained the reality that the sun, you know, the, the Earth was the center of the solar system in the universe, right? And exactly. Kept that going for I don't know how long that was maintained publicly. You know, until it was, Galileo until was proved. After you bet. Copernicus, when did Copernicus write? Like 1546, I want to say? Both were right around right, the 15th century, yeah. Right in the heart of the Counter-Reformation. Just as the count, because it was clearly an agenda to literally rewrite reality. I was pulling up some information on a Jesuit uh, in the early 1900s named uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Right, yeah. De Chardin was all over the place. He's considered... Uh, the founder of the New Age, the father of the New Age. Do you know that Deschardins very adamantly tried to put together Darwinianism with Christianity nope. to give Darwin absolutely. And as a matter of fact, he tried so hard that he was behind two archaeological hoaxes, Piltdown Man and Peking Man. That's because the real agenda of the Jesuits is to help shore up the ridiculous fabrication of Darwinian evolution. So you now have Jesuits or Jesuit-trained Catholic priests uh, like uh, uh, Georges uh, Lemaitre, who was friends with um, Albert Einstein, who fabricated the, the foolishness of the Big Bang to shore up this cosmic, this heliocentric spinning globe earth cosmic accident to destroy your reality and rewrite your reality to put you in an actual matrix of lies, the purpose of which was to, rather than to continue to burn Bibles and burn Protestants, they couldn't keep up with them anymore because the Gutenberg Press, they brilliantly rewrote reality to discredit the Bible. And some of those, 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 uh, like the Thirty Years' War, the Hundred Years' War, these wars that came out of the Reformation were ferocious, just slaughtering. People have cities. no idea. I, I saw, um, uh, what's his name, P Panetta, uh -huh. Leon Panetta. Panetta. Right. As a matter of fact, I have it in my video. Panetta described our war on terror as a new Thirty Years' War. Wow. There's only a tiny group of people that would understand what he's saying, that he's talking Jesuit language, and he would know. He came out of Santa Clara University, yeah. That's right. That's right. And, and he himself, how do you get to be a nobody congressman in California to become Bill Clinton's chief of staff, he became chairman of the, of the CIA, office right? budget, yeah. the head of the Central Intelligence Agency, and the Secretary of Defense? Are you kidding me? One of the most powerful individuals ever in this country. And he's saying the war on terror is going to be another 30 years war. That's because it's completely manufactured, the Hegelian dialectic. After 
the treasonously named Patriot Act was written by a Vietnamese Roman Catholic professor at law at Jesuit Georgetown. That's right. Viet Viet Dien, Dien, or whatever his name was. The Patriot Act right. was written by Viet Dien, was waiting the minute 9-11 was concluded to push this country into a slave police state. It was absolutely right. fabricated. But to say that 9-11 was like a 30 years war is a really, I mean, it's an incredibly potent statement because... People have no idea. People have no idea that it wasn't until after the Reformation that uh, nations began to stand up and, and against this, this octopus-like control. When you see Spectre and Hydra and all these things in the movies, that's, Je that's the Jesuits, that's Rome. That's what they're implying without telling you, because they literally had their hands in, do today, have their hand in everything and total control. And you had nations revolting against that and rebelling against that. And so Rome would react. And here's what made the Holy Roman Empire different from the previous Roman Empire. The Holy Roman Empire didn't have neither Holy Roman. nor Roman nor really yeah, an empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it had, it used. <laughs> other nations' militaries. Right. When, when the Pope wants you, he'll use the militaries of his henchmen, of his puppets. And that's where it comes into what I realize when you see these things going on all over the world where concerns about atrocities or war crimes, things that make you embarrassed to be an American. Abu Ghraib, great example. It had nothing to do with the United States military and the United States Army. It was traitors in our own military and government taking orders from the Vatican to further the Inquisition. And so you have this going on again and again where you, you, you have the Vatican now run. The Jesuits were so incredibly successful, they murdered popes to have complete and total control. That's how dedicated they are. So that now they are in total control they use the, the militaries of other nations to do their vicious, dirty, evil deeds. That well, nation can you gets provide the black a couple eye. examples of that? Wasn't there like a, I mean, the Spanish Inquisition, that was notorious. Um, or the other city? I mean, well, the Inquisition in general. It was that the, the, the Rome, the Vatican itself never really put anyone to death. It was the government of that nation. We see Spanish Inquisition, the Inquisition in France, the Inquisition in England. When England was, was Roman Catholic at the time. Yeah, that's right. When there was a someone that was seen as an enemy of Rome, the Inquisition in that person's host nation, Rome is the Vatican is a tiny sovereign city state. Right. Secretly controlling governments from across the uh, Europe across everywhere. And so it so, was those governments that would do the evil deeds. All right, so bringing it up to the present, we have about 10, 15 minutes left. You talked about Panetta, Viet Dinh, these other people, and particularly that I think of interest is we're looking at a potential somebody the Clintons come in who uh, Bill Clinton had a Jesuit education. What, what's your opinion on what's happening now? What's the interest of the Catholic Church? And what do you think oh, about the Clintons? Completely controlled. The Clintons were installed on a mountain of cocaine by the CIA. The CIA was is, is was and is absolutely controlled by the Jesuits and by the Vatican, founded by Roman Catholic Knight of Malta, William Donovan. 
uh, bookends. I, I like to use the bookends to show how much the, the Vatican controls the CIA. William Donovan founded the OSS in 1944. It was given the order of St. Gregory by Pope Pius XII. And uh, shoot it all the way up to today. How, how many different directors have Jesuit ties? Um, or the Knights of Malta. I mean, this is the Knights of Malta, another Catholic. Even, even, yes, Knights of Malta. Even supposed non-Catholic uh, uh, directors like um, Alan Dulles. His brother, John Foster Dulles, was Secretary of State. John Foster Dulles has a, had a son, Avery Dulles, recently passed away. One of the most powerful Jesuit cardinals in America. Interesting. Uh, and these are supposed uh, non-Roman Catholics, right? Uh, to today, the director of the CIA, John O. Brennan, the drone executioner, Roman Catholic, uh, went to Fordham, Jesuit Fordham University, and was sworn in not by Barack Hussein Obama, but by devout Roman Catholic Joe Biden on a constitution minus the Bill of Rights. So Rome is in total control of the CIA, back to Hillary Clinton. Uh, the Clinton and Bush criminal dynasties were installed on a mountain of cocaine going into uh, Mena, Arkansas, through the 80s and 90s. And so that established their, their dynasties. And, of course, Bill Clinton was, just as you, as you mentioned, um, indoctrinated at Jesuit Georgetown. It's where he met Carol Quigley, uh, the, the guy that wrote just Tragedy and Hope, that tome about how there's a secret organization that controls the world, that controls banking and finance, that controls both political parties. Well, uh, Bill Clinton is supposedly a Baptist, and yet he took communion. He took communion from a Roman Catholic priest, I believe, in Africa, which is strictly forbidden unless you yourself are a Catholic. Hillary Clinton is, I believe, she's supposedly Methodist, but she was raised in the epicenter of, of, of Jesuit community organizing in that Chicago. And now he, she herself has picked as her vice presidential running mate, Jesuit trained, devout Roman Catholic, former Virginia Senator. I think he's still Senator. He'd be Senator until he became vice president, Tim Kaine. That's right. So, the, and, and of course you have the other side, that clown, uh, Donald Trump, who takes issues that Americans are upset about and turns them into um, a soap opera. Uh, turn, turns them into uh, a morning talk show. Did humiliating, embarrassing, uh, illegal immigration, debt, uh, security, the defense. These are issues that, that are, are clearly the debt and and immigration, illegal immigration. Two issues that are destroying the country. Free trade. All these issues are, are purposely destroying the country. They continue to destroy the country. doesn't matter which party. Uh, Trump was trained at Fordham for two years, and he left Fordham, went to University of Pennsylvania, because uh, the Jesuits decided he was going to get his bona fides, he was going to get his plausible deniability. Well, the Jesuits control both. They control Fordham openly. They control the University of Pennsylvania secretly. He also had uh, his daughter, Ivanka, go to the University of Pennsylvania. His son, Eric, however, went openly to Georgetown, got his degree at Georgetown. He's now in the Georgetown School of Business. So the, the Jesuits, the Vatican, they control everything. I had a couple of my writers do up the connections from Vatican to vaccines and Bill Gates. The connections, sickening. 
Um, I, I have a. What's um, the agenda of the Vatican and vaccines? Why why are they interested in that agenda? Exactly. For instance, I I had my writer just write to me. Christopher Elias leads the Gate Foundation's efforts to combat extreme poverty through grants as a, a president of the Global Development Plan uh, on behalf of the Gates Foundation. Christopher Elias received his medical degree from Jesuit Creighton University. The agenda, why are the Jesuits involved? It's exactly what the alternative community has, alternative community has said to poison and control humanity, populations. They are that twisted and sick that everything you believe in this community that concerns you, the chemtrails, the vaccines, the fluoride, oh yeah, they absolutely are trying to poison and control you. And above that agenda are the Jesuits. They are absolutely evil. When I see Jesuits that are just kindly theologians and, and said, um, you know, doctors and, and um, uh, philosophers, just, just trying to help, it, it's a lie. everything is a lie. Everything, everything in their mouth is on Malachi Martin. He's been he, when he was alive. He was on um, uh, coast to coast like a million times. Very popular guy, kindly guy. You just listen to him. You just fall in love with the guy, and all kinds of great stories about uh, uh, helping people, people being possessed, exorcisms, and so forth. Malachi Martin, absolute liar. Everything out of that guy's mouth was it, and he supposedly left the Jesuit order, right? But he remained a Catholic priest, but left the Jesuit order. I read his book, Jesuits, and I was sickened at the at the propaganda. He he paints this picture of how the Jesuits suddenly turned. The Jesuits suddenly joined communism in the sixties. The Jesuits suddenly went against Rome. The Vatican suddenly turned and became satanic. I'm sorry, brother. It was always that way. And he would he was doing that, rewriting reality to give Call it Roman Catholics something to continue to believe in. Very, very, very important because it became so obvious that the Jesuits were doing crazy, evil things, uh, picking up rifles. That's and very common. It's very common in religions. People whitewash the past and you know put a, a rose cover covering. Or and that's, but you potato. need yes, but you need Catholics to continue to believe in the church. You need to be able right. to tug on their loyalty, even though it's clear the church and the Jesuits well, are doing. Now, where did Malachi Martin get his? You know, what was the largesse of his life from the Catholic Church? That's where he got his training. That's where absolutely, he got, he got absolutely, and you see his, his books, yeah. very popular, climb off the charts. Oh yeah, they were promoted. I know Catholic priests who are in Rome. Their lives are—they live the greatest life ever. Imagine going to college and learning all the time without ever having to pay any debts and getting free room and board. It's well, really. How about any? How about any sexual perversion you could think of? Uh, mm-hmm. have, have you seen the, the documentary movie Spotlight? Yes. That, that yeah. talks about the the uh, how predator priests. 200 times, 200 examples of priests praying, sodomizing young boys, raping little girls. And what they would do as as parents started to get upset is they would take that animal and send him to a new diocese where he could sodomize and rape anew and at will again and again. How many of these, these animals, these predators, have gone to the electric chair? Zero. None of them. How many have been, have been imprisoned? What, three? Two? Maybe. 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 
Yeah. And we're it's talking a huge cover. One. That spotlight was the spotlight. It was a good movie, but it was really just on one city because that happened. Oh my goodness! In yeah, many Boston, major right? cities. Yeah, Massachusetts. Yeah, all over. Can you imagine? And, and and so it begs the question, William: Are you kidding me? You actually clearly want these predatory priests to abuse as many American kids as possible. It is a, a sick, evil, twisted agenda. In the same way that why would, this, why would the CIA kidnap American citizens, conduct experiments on them with LSD to practice mind control, to flood American streets with cocaine and heroin? That is the worst... Um, the, the, actions an enemy of this nation have ever committed. And that's our own intelligence agency. We're not talking Germany, Japan, any enemy this country has ever faced. Nothing compares with the evil that the CIA has done to American citizens. And no one's talking about it, and no one is asking why. Fletcher Prouty, Fletcher Prouty, W-H-Y, why? Why would they slaughter a sitting president, blow his brains out in broad daylight? It's a coup yeah. because it's controlled by a malignant foreign entity that hates you, America. Well, we're coming to an end, Johnny. I uh, really appreciate all the information that you shared with me and the audience. I uh, really recommend this book. Where can people find your writing and your book? Uh, Johnny Cerucci.com, J-O-H-N-N-Y-C-I-R-U-C-C-I.com. My latest writings for myself and my, my writers, great guys on, on my blog. You can get Illuminati Unmasked on Amazon.com, and, and there's a link directly from my site to Amazon and working on the sequel right now. Awesome. What, uh, when can we look forward to seeing that? In the next couple of weeks, I also going to give a plug for my own show, Resistance Rising on Blog Talk Radio. That's you can just find that on the buttons, uh, Johnny on the air on my website. Okay. Hopefully, William, I can have it out within the next couple of weeks. It is crazy how hard it is well, to write a book. Something over, and we'll go over it when it comes out. We'll definitely love to discuss that with you. When you finish uh, up your book, you talked about Resistance Rising. Resistance Rising. Can you share uh, with us about what your uh, opinion or approach is as far as the you current challenges? Well, you do it. You're doing it right now. This is it. This is resistance arising. People who are dedicated to truth, who have a fearless engagement with truth, particularly people that um, I will say I consider myself, my own protection as a Christian, I try to discipline myself as much as possible to be a good Christian, to be a faithful Christian, to not be a scumbag uh, who killed John F. Kennedy? Well, the CIA killed him, the Vatican killed him, the Jesuits killed him. Really, John Kennedy killed himself because he was living like a reprobate. He, he made it easy. He was screwing anything that moved. He, so his own sins were, were what finally pulled the trigger on him. If, if you can be as dedicated as you can to truth, if you, for instance, are a Christian, be as dedicated as you are to that Christian living, to, to, to being honest and open and dedicated to truth, Truth gets out. Here's the crazy thing. They control everything. All the intelligence agencies, all the banks, all the militaries, all the countries, all of them. Russia, United States, France, England, all of them. And it's a house of cards because they have to do it in secret. Nobody knows they're in control. 
and they never in a million years could possibly have the numbers to fight a popular uprising. So as this information gets out, it is the death knell. They will try to suppress it. They have total control. They can control the numbers. They can control the reach, but they can't control everything. They are not all powerful. So as we continue to just try to be true and right and do the right thing, they can't combat that. Getting this information out, the best thing that can happen is that people on the inside start to get this information, William, and that then you have white hats, people inside the machine turning on the machine, and you'll see things start to start to crumble from within. It is a literal house of cards, and this right here is Resistance Rising. Awesome. Johnny, what's the title of your new book? Do you have a title? Oh, I right now it was uh, it was everything you know is a lie <laughs> because I was going to get into this altered reality, but I got into so many crazy things about hidden and secret history. It's going to be renamed something like hidden secret history awesome. uh, because there's so much information that I have uncovered that nobody is is aware of in regards to what we talked about today: the Reformation, the Counter Reformation. Um, the, the Jesuits coming in and, and attacking your very reality. So it, it's well, probably going to have to be several parts, and the first part's going to be something like secret, secret or hidden history. Awesome. Well, I really look forward to it, and I will definitely verify to the audience that you have tons of excellent information in this book, Illuminati in Unmasked. And Johnny Cerucci, thank you very much for your time. I had a great, uh, great show. My pleasure. I look forward to seeing you again soon, William. All right. God bless. Take care.